Have you said their names lately, either aloud or to yourself? I'm afraid the list has grown again. It might have even gone longer this morning. But let's begin with the three. Have you at least said their names? Let's go ahead and take a moment then. The images, almost like Byzantine icons of saints lining a cathedral, waiting for prayers. Imagine that. Was that uncomfortable for you, saying their names? If it was, good. It should be. And so let's get started. Here's my worry. Many of us have been saying the names over and over. Preachers have preached them. Politicians have recited them. Protesters chanting them. They're on lists, on websites, and in newspapers. And even if you haven't said the names yourself, well, at least up until about a minute ago, you've heard them and seen them. My worry is that a rhythm of sorts will start to take shape. The names will almost become musical, easily memorized. It's a worry that, as those of you that grew up in a religion that said the Lord's Prayer or Mourner's Kaddish regularly, the words and names will become performative. They'll become a rote recitation. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Yit Gadalva, Yit Rabbah, Arbery, Taylor, Floyd, Amen. It's a worry I struggle with. Will the names have meaning anymore? Will we remember the meaning? And will we remember what's happening on the streets right now? Because this is nothing new. We have been here before. Perhaps the intensity is new, but we have visited this place of lamentation and demanding justice countless times. Now, there's a story I've held on to from my more active days in the Poor People's Campaign before the pandemic. Um, and I've been processing it for a couple years now. I don't quite remember which protest it was. Was it when we took over the governor's office or camped out in the Capitol floor? I, I really don't think it matters. I just remember looking into the eyes of one of the Capitol police, armed with their excessive weaponry to protect themselves from dangerous clergy and poor people. And I had this blinding, searing moment of realization. The people in charge do not care. They do not care that we arrive to be heard as citizens of Kentucky. They do not care that we are singing songs of lamentation and suffering for our world. They do not care. And here was this officer, and we made eye contact. Me wearing a stole, the symbol of my vocation. Him holding a large gun, the symbol of our government's moral vacuity, their, their, their moral emptiness. Too long have we, the people, become resigned. Not necessarily cushily comfortable, but resigned with how disconnected our leaders in government have become. And I wonder, is it too late? I guess my worry isn't that small after all. It's bigger than saying names, and yet I want the names to mean something, no matter how ritualized their saying becomes. I believe that ritualization has power. Human beings do it whether we recognize it or not. Yet where the power resides is not in the act, but in the connection, in remembering, in letting whatever is ritualized move through us instead of around us. Are we feeling the power behind those names? Are we feeling the grief and the lament and the call to action? Because I hope it can continue to be that way. I really do. Because someone needs to care, and they need to keep caring. Because if we don't, we will find ourselves at this point again and again and again and again. 
It will be as with every school shooting. Never again, we say. Never again, then it happens again. And with every black American killed by police violence, never again, never again. I can't breathe. And then the list grows longer, even now. Say their names. Say their names and don't stop. Say their names. This is no nightly prayer for you to memorize. Say their names. This is a clear call to transformation, a call to never stop, to keep responding, to sacrificing some of our comfort and our privilege for the common good. We have been here before, haven't we? We've said these words. We've made these commitments. Now this Sunday, I was originally scheduled uh, to, to scheduled myself to preach about the state of the congregation. Uh, it's something I do every year as another church year is nearly over. And sure, let's lift up what we've accomplished and put a spotlight on what we need to focus on. I mean, we could sit here all day talking about the rotting siding on the sanctuary. It might actually be soothing in a way. We could fix that. We could approach that large project such as that and have a plan and get it done. There are things before me, indeed, as your minister, that I want us to focus on. And I want to assure you, and I need to tell you, this congregation is already a beacon. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But it will take every single one of us to make the light shine brighter than ever, not just a few of us. And we could unpack that all day if we wanted to. And I also want to affirm what I said to you all last year during a similar service. I still believe wholeheartedly my journey with you as your minister has been one of rediscovery. You are rediscovering who you are as a congregation, trusting yourselves as a prophetic community, loving what is good here already and building on to that good. And that is slow, difficult work. And it's the most important work any community can do. But... Aha, there's the but. I affirm you not because I want us to rest easy. Not because I want you to fix the shingles. Surprise, someone is already working on that. And I know a few of you might have been out there Googling shingles as I speak. You can close your browser window now. I affirm you because we are at a point, if we weren't already in 2016 or really any year I've been with you as your minister, Right now is another opportunity to claim our prophetic imperative, to live it, to say their names and weave them into the very fabric of what we do and who we are as the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington. Now, I had a jarring moment last week, and we've all had jarring moments in these past few months. I go for a run regularly at a local park, and some of you have run into me there. And ever since Ahmaud Arbery's name became a nationwide utterance, I've noticed a significant increase in African Americans at the park. Most of them are, are using those running apps that you can get on your phone. Couch to 5K, run a 5K in six weeks or however many weeks. I've seen protest shirts and wristbands saying Black Lives Matter. And really, I've just greeted them as I would greet anyone in the park from a distance, uh, given the pandemic, of course. But last week, I saw two women sitting on a bench. I ran by them a couple of times and heard just enough snippets to piece together that the elder woman was there with her adult daughter. Nearby, the daughter's teenage son was riding around on one of those motorized scooter things. Certainly nothing you could ever have on a sidewalk or street, but on an open field, sure, why not? And they were black, enjoying the day. But my only thought 
in seeing them was that I hope no one calls the police on them. I hope no one calls the police on their son and grandson riding a scooter, on them for sitting on a bench. That was my immediate thought, and that thought was like a red-hot poker through the heart. And I debated with myself for a minute. Am I overreacting? Yeah, probably. There was a man there at the park that's there every week, and sometimes he has a Confederate flag on his hat, and he's there for his walk. What if he calls the police? What if he does something? I share this moment of irrationality with you, not because I need affirmation in my worrying. That's entirely on me. I share it because there is a helplessness in such thoughts. I want to reach that point in a happy-go-lucky mindset where people can just enjoy the park, and maybe they were that day. I want to reach that point where I, as an individual, feel like if injustice should rear its head, I can answer the call readily and without hesitation. I mentioned in my midweek reflection with you all that if we feel miserable with what's happening in the world right now, well, I have bad news, we should. Because it's in that misery, that despair, that maladjustment with the world as it currently is, that we can say ever more clearly and courageously, Black Lives Matter. We can say that our leaders, some of them mayors, some of them governors, many of them at the very top are devoid of any moral authority and have lost any remaining credibility. And if you think that's too political, absolutely not. I don't care if there's an elephant or a donkey next to any politician's name. This isn't about the ballot box. This is about right now. And this isn't about wallowing in hatred for one party or politician over the other. They're not worth that effort. It's about naming injustice and holding those in power accountable. Clearly. And if these stripes mean anything anymore around my shoulders, I will name evil for what it is and fiercely advocate our values. None of us should be quietly complicit. And to name evil, to name disease, our maladjustment, to say Black Lives Matter, to be a beacon of hope and courage, to shine it and say it ever more brightly, that is our calling. That is where we can begin. Say their names. Yes, say Black Lives Matter. Believe in your own power to effect some measure of change. That is the threshold of revelation. Not the sky opening up in choirs of angels, but a revelation that we have a part to play in the work for justice. You need not wait for your part. It's already been cast. And the lines are easy. Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. New names will be added. Sean Reed, Tony McDade. But our part is clear. Begin by saying their names. Speak to the cause. Can you say it? Have you said it? Black Lives Matter. Now, you know, I'm, I'm like many of you. I wish... I didn't have to talk about race so much. I never imagined entering seminary that this would be the justice work blaringly calling our names. I also never thought it'd be compounded by the coming climate crisis, and the two are so closely linked. There's a lot of things I'd rather not talk about, and I'm uncomfortable. I'm furious, too, and I'm mourning. But I honestly know that right now, 
For me as a Unitarian Universalist, I cannot be silent. I cannot pretend it'll all be okay because it's not been okay since the colonizing of this land when 401 years ago, people were unwillingly taken across the Atlantic Ocean and forced to work this land. This land, the land I'm on right now is part of that legacy. It has never been okay. There has never been an America where we do not see race. To think we have such a luxury is to be an accomplice and to be quietly complicit. To think love will just heal it all, that the light of the universe or whatever will heal it, sure. But what good is love without action? What good is action without justice? We say it here often and we need to say it more. Action with love for justice. And so here we are. Say their names. Say black lives matter. Don't let the words go around them, around you. Let them sink into your bones, deep into the marrow. Blessed be. Amen.